Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast, the podcast from us where we talk about comics. Not that other one. Not the other one. We have a new show called We Will Fix You. You should listen to that as well. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Will we? Yes. Like, actually, not like the other times when Lucy says, you should put this 80s pop video in there. And I say, yes, we'll do that. And she doesn't check. I do check. And I was very disappointed. I just didn't say anything because that's what I do when I'm very disappointed. I'm still doing the voice from the other podcast. (laughs) This week, we're going to be talking about sincerity, which you might think is a little bit off uh, from us. But these two keep reading things and going, isn't it lovely? And I just thought we should sort of examine that because, honestly, it terrifies me. So yeah, I don't know about you, Ms. Boys, but I don't really like things. No, and including but not limited to being alive. Yeah. Well, it's not great, is it? Oh, God, it's fucking awful. Mm. So as you'll have heard, with me as ever, Lucy and Roger. Hi. Hey. I'm Dave. Let's crack on. Lucy, what are you been reading? So I've got two things that I've read this week. Um, the first one is something called Spill Zone by Scott Westerfeld and Alex Puverland. Puverland? I don't know. It's a good name regardless. Either, either pronunciation I is... I like it. Ooh. Mm. Excellent. Um, long story short, Spill Zone is really, really, really good. Um, it is a... It's currently available for pre-order as a complete book, but they've also put the first sort of 25, 30 pages up online as a webcomic, and they're very slowly drip-feeding some of that out yeah. to get people enticed before and make them buy the book. That's the business model. And it works. A little visual amuse-bouche. Mm-hmm. Like a small velouté of cauliflower and truffle, but for your mind. With a frisson of spicy half-tones. Mm. So, um, does it have half tones? I'm gonna check now. I don't know. Okay, you did read it though, right? Yeah, but I don't know what half tones are. Ah. It's like Dot's the Dot's thing. Okay, I don't think it has that. No, probably not. Um, not. Not many things do. No, no, it doesn't. It's fairly flat shading. Heart, you're full of shit. So, Spill Zone, um, it's set basically a kind of mysterious American Chernobyl has happened. There is a part of America that is now the Spill Zone. And it's all been totally evacuated. There's a sort of perimeter area around it, border guards, that kind of thing. Mm. There are also people who live locally. It focuses specifically on a kind of late teens, early 20s woman called Addison, who is looking after her sister. Their parents were both presumed dead or presumed fucked up by the spill. Her youngest, Addison happened to be out of town when it happened, but her youngest sister saw the horror. None of the children who got out have ever spoken again. So she's got a mute sister who saw all of this horror who she has to look after. In the meantime, she's making a living by going into the zone illegally, taking photos and selling it to rich art people who really want to know what shit looks like in there. And it's also full of just, like, fucked up, weird creatures. And a lot of the corpses are kind of just hanging up and they're sort of possessed by something that is using them as eyepieces and it's really gross and weird. This sounds amazing. If you like shit like trees and injection, I would say it's very much kind of in that I was going to say it sounds quite like trees. Um, yeah. All over this. It's really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I would very cautiously say it might be my favourite book of next year when it comes out. How much How much is there so far, sorry? About 25, 30 pages online and okay. then it just cuts right off and I'm like, oh, fuck, don't stop there. I want to know. Um... So yes, get get on pre-ordering that. Read it online really if good. you like it. Do the pre-orders. Hell's tits, that sounds fine. Mm, it's really, really good. I was, It was one of those, saw it randomly somewhere, decided to have a go and it turned out to be great. So. What was the other book? The other book was, how do you want me to pronounce this? I think we're saying Geiss. Geiss, yeah. okay. The other book was Geiss by Alexis Deacon, which was a 
one of those amazing no-brow ones where they manage to make it weigh nothing, even though it's incredibly dense. Mm. How do they do that? don't know. Printing magic. Quantum printing, perhaps. Some kind of weird Higgs boson business. It looks like it should be a lot heavier than it is. He's Mr. Combrey is cuddling it right now. Mm. It's a very pretty book. It is a very pretty book. Oh, he's... he's, he's oh. That weighs about the same as its equivalent volume in Cocoa Pops. Mm. Magic, I say. Talking of magic... Such as those you may find in Geist by... In Geist by Alexis Deacon. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Roger is sniffing the book. Yes, it was bad when I was cuddling it, but apparently that's fine. It's, um, it's actually got quite a mild scent. The inks are quite muted. It's not sort of spicy or it's not got that mulchy note that you sometimes get. Well, I've no, had it for indeed. about six months, so I think some of the initial no-brow smell will have faded. But it's, it's a good, it's got a good scent. The no-brouquet, if you will. I, will. I choose not to. Okay, fine. Well, 50-50. Yeah, I will. Come on, one more. He's, he's overruled. Mm, not bad. Um, Geis is the story of a very strange world Mm. Um, the incumbent ruler has died and or is dying and summons sort of a hundred people from their realm to see if one of them will be the new person in charge and it turns out this was kind of a power play on the part of death magic sorcerer who then is putting these hundred people through a weird trial, so they all get kind of flung to far parts of the realm and they have to make their way back to stand a chance of being in charge. It's trippy as fuck, though. It's, like, properly trippy. Really? I, um... I guess I sort of read it as a weird combination of Eastern European fairy tales and sort of old, early 20th century, like, one-page newspaper stories. Yeah. You say that about everything. You said that about your last shopping list. It's true. I am predictable in that, in that sense. Oh, there's a bit where one of, one of the sort of hopefuls for being in charge, Ben, decides he wants to give up. He doesn't like the terms of the curse that they're basically all under at this point. Goes home, goes to bed with his wife. They're like, oh, great, no problems at all. And then kind of the end period of the first trial has elapsed and he just fucking flies out the window. <laughs> Just like, just a a, a dark turbo corpse almost flying towards its destiny. But like, this is all played pretty much totally straight faced against the more normal elements of the world. Also, I mean. There's a slightly. Um, there's a slightly humorous element to it, but it tends to be like in very small snippets of story. It was actually the sort of the the visual humor of that scene reminded me a lot of the sort of. Jillian Tamaki kind of Super Mutant Magic Academy mm. gag style, but you've got that in the context of a really dense and weird story that's not entirely meant to be funny. It's also, it's world building like entirely through story evolution. There's basically no backgrounding, foregrounding, catching you up of what's going on. It all comes <sighs> out in the narrative. I love that. You should read this. Mm. Which is good, but um, I, so I fell foul of my own eyes again, and some of the the art was beautiful, but some of it was hard to pass. So when you're not really being told what's going on, and I can't really see what's going on some of the time, that did make it slightly difficult. But that's a that's a me problem. That's not an everyone problem. Yeah, it's only the first volume of three as well, yes. so the story is not complete in this. No, and it has ended relatively abruptly at the end of this volume. Yeah. Are the others available, or are they coming? No, I think the other two are coming out next year. One fairly early, and one towards the end of next year. Oh, sweet. Year. But it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Oh, mm. it's kind of foofy painty. Yeah, it's, yeah, pastely and weird. So it's not watercolour, is it? It's yeah. No, it does some great things with colour, though. Mm. Um, it's sort of one of the things that, one of the things I really like is the way that it sort of does... 
um, sort of whole page colour palettes, mm. and then the colour palette shifts throughout the book, but sort of from so page to page, it sort of feels tonally consistent. Mm. Sort of visually, it, it makes me think Scandinavian kids' book with maybe a dash of bad peyote. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Moomin's on acid. It's got a there's definitely a Tove Janssen thing in there. Yeah, weird hats as well, which I like. Do you like a weird hat? Mm. You ever seen the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet? I have. Oh, yes. some big velvet hats in there. There are. And then Lana Del Rey nicked the song. Sorry, when you say big velvet hats, you're not making a muff joke, are you? Not at all. No. I can make a muff joke if you want. I can make many of them. No, I just I, I very strongly remember everyone bursting out laughing when Juliet jumps out of bed and our English teacher screaming, Don't laugh, it's not funny! She wasn't allowed to go to the premiere of that because she was too young yeah, to see her own breasts. Yeah. That's one of my favourite facts. And more besides. What? Um, yeah, the, she was below the certificate of the film that her, she bared her breasts in and thus was not allowed to go and watch it and in the chaff. cinema. That's incredible. Well, yes, yes, let's not forget the chaff. It's very hard to. It was the like 30, I was 13 when I saw it. Is it like the first time I saw a human penis? Probably, yeah. Oh, that was in an Indian restaurant. What? I think that Zephyrly Romeo and Juliet is a much nicer way of <laughs> encountering genitalia. I'd agree, it's arty, cultural. <laughs> in an Indian restaurant. Yeah. It had a glass Not door. Not in the food, right? No. It had a glass door, and I was there with my friends, and it was the middle of summer, so it was a very light evening, and some guys who were playing pub golf down the road uh. came and one of them pissed on the door. And then the owner of the restaurant asked if we'd seen the guy who had pissed on the door and said that if he ever caught him, he would stab him with a knife. Then I drank 75 centilitres of gin. It's quite a lot of gin. Yeah. It's three shots at those times. No, it's quite no, a No, that's a bottle. It's a bottle. Oh, centilitres. Yeah, Sorry, no. yes. Well, Although, this would explain a lot about why you're so confused so much of the time. <laughs> you're not wrong. Where are you? I don't have any frame of reference. Huh, what have you been reading? There was a lot of puke in a fancy bathtub. Oh, that evening. <laughs> yeah. The one where all my friends saw my ass. Yeah. Sorry, I'm done. I remember you telling me about I'm that. I'm done reminiscing. <laughs> <coughs> reminiscing? Halcyon days. <laughs> Please tell us what you've read, Hart. Please. Oh, one or two things, one or two things. Some with this kind of eye to sincerity that we're, we're sort of in earnestness that we're going to look at. Um, although I've covered a certain amount of that just sort of anyway. And then just some things from the tail end of Thought Bubble. So I read, um, did, I might have mentioned this on the last podcast, Jade Sarson's Feels Like Noodles. Mm. It's one of her other comics. Yeah, it's, it's a little little collection of sort of memories and bits and pieces of sad mm. times. And, um Orbital, the six-volume uh, Resistance. This is Sylvain Rimberg and Serge Pellet. Um, this is... I've been reading this on and off for two years now, I think. Uh, and it's sort of... It's like, imagine Space Precinct, but good. Um, or maybe with a bit of Babylon 5. It, it's a big it's a big space opera thing. In fact, I, I have, I've talked about this. I think it? so. It's, uh, you've got these two agents of the galactic government. They're sort of diplomatic police, I guess. Um they get caught up in a few incidental storylines, but one of them is the attempt to keep humanity out of the newly formed Galactic Federation-y doodad and everything going terribly wrong. And they're in these... Um, they're in three stories, each with two volumes. And I think from the tone of it, there's going to be one more, which means that, yeah, so two more books. 
Uh, continental, like Franco-Belgian style albums, beautiful, beautiful artwork, um, but quite conventional. It, it's 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 beautiful and it, it realizes a load of mad shit, mm. in, but in quite a sort of I want to say unambitious or conventional, but in a nice way style. It looks really, really good, but it's quite a sort of down the line. We're drawing the weird aliens. There's no. Mm. It's not going weirdly off piece with the with the stylistic twitches. It's quite. A simple attempt to do big weird things. It's not profit, for example, which is yeah. terrifying and foofy and bizarre, but also quite stylistically sort of freeform. Yes, profit requires a huge amount of cognitive attention. Mm. It's, it's it's incredibly rewarding hard work reading profit. More than I actually have generally. And vo- volume six is honestly, I'm, it's kind of getting to be a bit of a slog. The the subplots have sort of picked up and are getting a little distracting, and it's lost a lot of momentum. It's still good, but volume five was a subplot I didn't really care about, and mm. six is getting back on track, and then sort of a couple of things coming out of nowhere. So Caleb, one of the, the main characters, develops weird apocalyptic psychic superpowers for a bit mm. and it's just it's just a bit odd it's the problem you get with stuff like saga as well any yeah. kind of long spanning far-reaching conceptual type thing you run the risk of falling down your own rabbit holes pursuing shit that's interesting to you not necessarily to your reader or the progress of your story or whatever yeah mm, although i think saga jumps around a lot and does focus on character in a way mm. that alleviates a lot of that um I would like to see this either not do it or do it like Saga, basically. I, I found Orb a little tough going. I, I liked the bits that I read, but it mm. felt like I was being better served elsewhere, including in video games, which is never a good sign. Mm. I Broad strokes, the first two volumes of Orbital are pretty fucking brilliant, and it's, it's not a decline after that. It just operates consistently at a slightly lower level. I'd say it's, it's still worth money. It's... it's I've taken to buying it basically at Thought Bubble where um, Cinebook have the three for two. Uh, I'm, I slightly begrudge the um, the cover price given the slight decline in quality, but on the three for twos it's well worth it. Mm. Which is the kind of slightly bullshit price sensitivity thing that I don't normally like to do, but... I if, if it's something that you're not necessarily 100% on board with, but you're giving them money anyway, then... Why it not? feels like you're doing the right thing there. Mm. Well, I love Sony Book. They publish some fantastic stuff, and I yes, want to see. Yes, they the, do. I want to see the series to the end. Mm. Um, I bought quite a lot from them as well. Unlike Sam or Damocles, both of which were bitterly disappointing. Um, what about Damocles, the mashup? That doesn't exist. That would look super weird. Mm. Um, I read uh, the print version of the first volume of Tab Kimpton's Chaos Comics, mm-hmm. which I'll probably cover in a bit more detail under the sort of sincerity mantle. Um, TLDR, adorable. Mm. Um, is it reworked from the originals at all, or is it just the originals printed? Cause I, so I read the first probably four or five volumes, like way back in the day, before I even knew really what a webcomic was. That was just something that I kind of came across on Live Journal. From the fluff in the back matter and the fly leaves and what have you, and just the, the non picture pages, mm. I can't remember if it's the fly leaf or the back matter. From the other bits of words in the book, mm-hmm. um, it's been through a few iterations okay. and, and reworkings. Some of it redrawing, I think. Yeah. The core story is the same. The first story of... Um, Stephen Mark? Stephen Adam? Yeah, Stephen someone? Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, Stephen Mark. Yes. It's, uh, the first story of Stephen Mark getting together. It, it, the story is basically the same, but there's that perspective flip where it starts with Steve's story and then flips around to Mark's version yeah. of the same story. And the entire Chaos Comics thing, I think, is what, eight 
teenagers intersecting all intertwined in, in their lives all in various relationship configurations with each other various kind of differing sort of levels of kind of queerness interest yeah. gender stuff going on it's cool it's really cool mm. it's like the, the thing it made me think of was like a sort of less exploitative and more fundamentally good-natured version of Skins. Mm-hmm. There's a character who comes in in the second one, I think her name is Amber, mm. who was basically the first femme lesbian I really ever encountered, and that was right. really interesting. Yeah, it, She's the, the one that, that Mark awkwardly tries to date, who helps him get over it. Isn't yes, she? the yeah. kind of blonde... Foofy hair. Yeah, foofy hair. Quite sorted. Yes. Yeah. It's It's... It's a good one of those. It's a teen relationship piece, mm. very, very good natured. Um, when I spoke to him, he did, I think he described it as the gay copy, comic with the happy ending. Yeah. Um, um, I got a lovely surprise in the post from One Beat Zines, which is to say, I forgot I'd backed their Patreon, uh, not Patreon, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Indiegogo. I, I, I forgot I'd crowdfunding campaign. Yes, I forgot I'd backed their crowdfunder for performance. Their um, their zine on identity performance and it sort of came through my letterbox and I was delighted. Of course, because that sounds like a great thing. I turned to the back page and it was basically like a lot of people I know off the internet and a lot of people I know from comics that had funded it. Mm. <laughs> it's sort of slightly un- unnerving. Um, the Brit comic scene, smaller than you think. Turns thought? out we know quite TM. a lot of them now. Yeah. Um, and this, this is an ensemble, well, uh, sorry, an anthology book of little vignettes about types of performative identity. So there's a wonderful thing, but I guess it's taking the vagina monologues as its departure point, but it's this beautiful... A lot of things depart from the vagina. Beautiful, sinuous, colourful, like, vulva. Mm-hmm. Um, and general kind of vaginal assembly. So there's this whole... There's a hole. Downstairs. Continue. A hole downstairs. Mm. You're kind of, you're kind of, you're downstairs lady assemblage. I'm not intimately familiar with the details, but I'm given to understand... You need to watch the Zeffirelli version of Romeo and Juliet. You can see one. Clearly at a formative age, apparently. Yeah. Um, so it, it's this sort of, it's basically this vagina talking um, over a couple of pages about identities and feminism and coming to, it, it's a sort of someone debating with themselves about whether the kind of middle-class white feminism is a feminism for them and whether they're on board with all of the identity facets of it and what if they want to choose femininity it's kind of i guess it's partly a dissection of of insufficiently intersectional feminism but it's also interrogating what is it choice feminism it's Mm. referred to as um any choice that a woman makes as a feminist choice kind of yeah and it's kind of it's sort of interrogating that what's playing with it and asking is it like is it okay for me to be a femme feminist Mm -hmm. um and do I then in turn feel excluded by the contemporary sort of British feminist scene? Mm-hmm. There's, so there's some really interesting stuff there, all overdone with this sort of, again, very almost Art Nouveau sort of <laughs> illustrative, sketchy... Art Nouveau and fannies. Snatch hoo-ha business mm-hmm. genitals help. Related, I saw a very interesting gallery recently that I actually meant to bring up as part of this, but I forgot to put the link in the show notes. Um, about it's just a sort of cartoon gallery of vulvas, mm-hmm. like a, just a bunch of different types. So I've seen sort of there's a lot of kind of for a long time there have been photo galleries of what breasts look like, what vulvas look like, yeah. f- just across a bunch of people. You don't get many non-normative representations in mass media. Yeah, and this was that, but just sort of done in a really cute cartoon yeah. style with you know like sometimes one of the lips is longer than the other, and that's okay. That's one of the things I really love about um, Ojo Sex Toy is the kind mm. of body diversity but it's not it's not super detailed but that kind of hey it can go in all sorts of shapes yeah. and sizes different configurations but uh, th- and then there's 
the Julia Schiller's piece in in the in the zine is this wonderful thing about how wearing different outfits and effectively putting on different types of drag, I guess, like your day to day gender drag, make you feel is it, mm-hmm. it's a really lovely book. Um, might be a bit of a slog if you're not already familiar with some of the underlying ideas of gender theory. Mm-hmm. But it does a reasonable job of explaining a fair bit of it. Like it's not full on Judith Butler. Uh, what is these days? What else have I read? I, I, Cowboys and Insects, uh, which I'm not going to dwell on because I wrote a long, I wrote mm. like 1,300 words on the site. It's good. Look at it. Would you like me to talk about it at all? Give us a pricey. There's some cowboys and some insects. I want 13 words out of 1,300. But it can be any 13 and they don't need to make sense in a string. The insects are large. Society is fucked. Cowboys are mostly irrelevant. That was 11. You dick. Okay, fine. Well, I can't beat that. But, uh, but you, tender listener, can go and read my article. No, seriously, it's, it's genuinely, it's a really great book. Um, some things, some, some, pretty, some pretty hot shit is going to have to come off the presses in the next few weeks, or I'm going to have to find some pretty cool stuff to keep it off my end-of-year list. It's 20, 22 pages of um, sort of the town in the B-movie, kind of 50, paranoid faux-50s in day-glow colours, where giant ants have supplanted cattle, and all oh, the whole thing's doing... They lynch a bunch of vegetarians. It's 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 a metaphor for all sorts of things. Like it's it's riffing on southern racism, but mm. the whole the whole process of the normalization and internalization of bigotry. And I'm selling it very short and talking very quickly, but basically it's this wonderful essay of what being inculcated into aggressive othering feels like from the inside. Mm-hmm. And some, I read some other things. Like I caught up on fascist friends. I read backstages. Um, we we can come to some of that under sincerity. Okay. Well, I've mostly been catching up on stuff from Thought Bubble. So uh, I read the next two volumes of Marquis de Anouilh. Oh. Talked about him. You want those guys? Oh yes. Um, that guy's my fave. Which is you know it's it's kind of uh, Renaissance man. Um, uh, wandering France, solving supernatural mysteries that, of course, aren't supernatural at all. They're usually and just people being shit and trying yeah. to cover it up with ghosts. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like Scooby-Doo, except it's not only that. There's also um, the fact that it, it sort of really touches on how communication works in isolated societies, mm. how information and misinformation spread especially misinformation. Um, so in these volumes, the character is starting, like he's starting to become famous um, throughout France. And so of course he has a massively inflated profile that is hugely incorrect. There are little prose pieces that are just completely wrong and yeah. accuse him of being a magician and so on. Whereas in fact, he's an arch, arch empiricist. Yes. Um, and it's really, it sort of really goes into those in a big way. The first volume is about basically taking an ill-fated voyage and trying to set up a quarantine when people fall sick. Mm. And the way that, that sort of superstition, particularly sort of solar superstition, um, plays into that and how his own presence as this sort of known character exacerbates it. But also trying to um, quarantine anything in a pre-germ theory society is fucking difficult. I mean, Typhoid yeah. Mary refused to be locked up. They had to do it at her. 
she just didn't believe she was making those people sick and that's a very hard thing to counterbalance when you've got no evidence that people will believe and this is before like this is before that this is a hundred years or so before even that Um, and then without giving too much away the experience there breaks him and the, the fourth volume of what is a relatively slight series so far is the main character having to rebuild his ego in the wilderness. The French don't shy don't away fuck from about. hard stuff. They, they, they do not. I mean, it's, it's written by Fabian Velman, who's written some really fucking hard stuff. Um, really difficult um, stuff like um, Beautiful Darkness, mm. which is just horrifying. Oh, I still haven't read that. It's amazing. It looks wonderful. Um... Yeah, and that's illustrated by Kerasset, the team mm. that did Miss Don't Touch Me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really like Marky Danawan. Um, I like the Bretony nature of the sort of folk tales and mm. the sort of the way that it has done really different things with each volume, even though each volume is like sixty pages long. Um, yeah, it's been it's really great. It's really it's but without of, kind of undermining it as a series at all. It all feels like it flows and it fits, even though they're four blender volumes that are all doing something quite different. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does feel like a series. It does feel like these are sort of natural mm. occurrences, and I really, really like it. Also by Fabian Valman, um, and in this case, two different artists, Bruno Gazzotti and Ralph Mayer. Um, Clear Blue Tomorrows, which is um, about a futuristic society where one company rules everything. Mm. Um, the guy who founded it is virtually immortal and everyone has sort of behavioral chips which lets them resist disease, live longer, but also stops them harming him. Mm. Um, live longer and be controlled by the chip inside you. Yeah, so one, one man builds a time machine and goes back, still can't harm the guy, but decides to try and lead him down his other potential life path into becoming an author. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, the authorised biography is, uh, is a lie, and he's a shit writer. And this guy ends up writing him a sort of Twilight Zone-style series based on the shit that he was doing in their broken future. Um, and then you sort great. Of, and then you re- read those short stories, which are very much like... 2000 AD future shocks. They're these mm. short, heavily ironized mm. little um, uh, little stories, and it basically sort of sort of seems like everything's going to come true anyway. And it's sort mm. of him trying harder and harder to push this guy into a fictionalized version of his life, mm. like the one that he didn't lead, despite the fact that he's fucking terrible at it. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of questions about whether you know whether the future is resisting being changed whether you can actually change this person at all um whether he's just you know innately worthless in this particular sense or whether he's just a huckster who managed to build this empire out of shit i was really impressed with people who do big ideas and good story at the same time because it's so fucking hard to do both so it's it's my least favorite thing of velman's writing really yeah because um, you just sold it to me. I think it's the translation. Uh, the translation feels really flat in a mm. way that... His writing doesn't normally? Yeah. Mm. So to be fair, another sort of his, Marquis Duanoan is clearly, like, it's sort of 12 plus. It's uh, Yeah. And it feels like it's written at that level and it suits it. Uh, 
beautiful darkness is... Not 12 plus? No, but it's a heavily ironised children's story. And again, that sparse language is is Mm. quite well suited to it. Um, Whereas in this, this feels like something... This feels like 2000 AD. This feels like it's written for an older audience than it's necessarily sold to, with its tongue heavily in its cheek. Um, and it doesn't quite live up to that. It's still enjoyable, but it's just, it's not my favourite of his. Okay. Um, but it's fair to say that Cinebooks have a fair chunk of stuff coming out at the moment, mm. given what we've been what we've been reading. Um, so I also read Tetris, Games People Play, by Vox yes. Brown, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's another of his books, and you went into it in detail on another show, so I'm not going to go into it in in huge depth but he does interesting subjects really really well it was a story i already knew um in quite a lot of detail because it's not you know this is something that that has been researched in a Mm. big in a big way and there have been documentaries on the bbc about it and that sort of it's that sort of late soviet era starting to rediscover russia Mm. story um of when something that's now familiar was was foreign and only just starting to become known is that sort of weird orientalist take on on russia um and but it's the way that he the way that he writes it it still felt fresh it still felt engaging even though i knew everything that was going on everything that was going to happen i still found it very um very interesting and coming from a slightly different perspective which was the sort of behavioral perspective and the the Mm. nature and purpose of play um I thought that was was really good. Mm. I liked it. But also, Robert Maxwell's son is a bell end. Yeah, as was Robert Maxwell. Yeah, properly. Yeah. I read The Foldings, which Mr. Hart talked yeah. about last time, um, by Faye Sims and Ivan Dominic. Not a metaphor for fannies? N- no, no, not as far as I know. No, no. Not it's about people living in a magical floating city where oh, one person nice. is unaffected by magic. Yes, no, of um, course. And... I mean, Hart spoke about it in in detail. But I was th- enraptured by it. The thing that really stood out for me, and this is sort of in relation to reading a lot of first issues and a lot of small things, was just how good it was at show don't tell. Mm. Even though it's, it's 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 quite short, the the temptation to do all of the world building through explanation has been it's overcome, basically gone, basically. Um, and it's all there in the art and in the action of this small first story. It's really nice, mm. really nice little bit of writing. Very much enjoyed that. I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's small. The plot is basically two people go out shopping and then one of them falls off a building. Because they are hitting the face with a child. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, I read Jeffrey Fishboy, which again I picked up at Thought Bubble <laughs> by Jake Lava. It is a um, slightly manga inspired high school romance story. Um, Sort of. Um, it clearly derives from that sort of, uh, there are battles along the way, you must do this sort mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. drama. Like, the, the main character at one point has to beat up his music teacher. Oh. Um, but basically, Jeffrey, who is struggling in love and life, uh, goes out to the, the river and sees a fish uh, flapping about on the shore and being a, a good person throws it back in. At which point he finds out it's the king of the landfish and he really is allergic to water and dies. 
and in his dying breath curses Jeffrey to become a fish when he's stressed. Oh. Um, in a glorious panel of a giant ghost fish with a crown and the words, fuck you, spreading across, <laughs> spreading across the entire page. Uh, and it's, it's lovely. It's, it's kind of grim in places and a bit crass and it's just full of stupid humour and dumb cutaways and it's Sounds perfect. really, really funny. Um, just, just so funny. On the, loved it. on the subject of Fishman, uh, mm-hmm. there was a, a... Do you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Fishman. Everywhere I go. We'll put it in the show notes. We won't. Okay. I might. There was a... Um, what I believe was just teasing, but but hints from Ellaby and Allison of a Chloe Noon and Desmond Fishman mashup on Twitter oh, Jesus. this week. <laughs> I somehow missed that. Everybody's favourites. I time. sometimes forget they're not the same person. They don't look alike, the drawings are not alike. They don't live in the same place. No. I don't know, they just occupy a, same, a similar place in my brain. They have different personal interests to some extent. I can't explain it. You don't have to. We don't expect you to at this point. No, you have problems. Mm. One last thing I read, which is a short one, um, was the final cameo by Bastard Comics. <laughs> Strong label. Comics just for you. Yeah, it's... Um, it is taking the idea that Stanley is in everything now to genuinely terrifying conclusions. And I can't say anything that wouldn't spoil it at least slightly, but, but please go and read it. It's quite short. It's, it's, it's the good shit. Mm-hmm. Is Stanley in your bathroom? Yes. He's that is in one of the places he is. <laughs> He's Stanley in your living room. Like, like genuinely, in your garden. the character closes a mirror and Excelsior is written in the steam. Oh yeah, yeah. There's some good shit in there. It's it's just escalating horror of Stan Lee, and it's wonderful. Okay, so like, we've taken a look over the last few weeks. I think this is partly spurred by Gay Hockey Pie comics. Yes, a few. And yes, it's been it's been you doing anime eyes over that. Yeah. You've been like all well, full on cutesy first because a lot of these things have big anime eyes in. It's the but heart eyes emoji. It's. <laughs> Gay Hockey Pie Comics, The Foldings has some of it. There's a lot of things about at the moment that we've been describing as just fucking lovely and they're mm. getting proper, like, rhapsodic about. Mm. Which is weird, because you are two hate-filled sacks of human beings. Absolutely. Mm. I am a bag of sour dicks, and I, I love a lot of these comics. So in suggesting this topic, I think I might be doing a little bit of sociology on you, but I want, I want, I want to see what comes out of it. I don't um, have a skeleton, it's just rage keeping me upright. Mm. Booze in my case, but the principle mm. is the same. Mm, hydraulics and rage booze. Yeah, it's largely pneumatic. Mm. Mm. And I, I don't know if this is new, it's, or if it's just that we've noticed it recently, but if you sort of whip through a few of the things that fit this sort of, it's just lovely, it's kind of artlessly charming, mm-hmm. it's, but it's, and it's quite sincere about it, there isn't much of an ironised layer, although mm. I'm going to come back to this, I would argue there's some. Mm. Um, Gay Hockey Pie Comics. Yes. Uh, sorry, OMG check, please. Um, the Foldings, uh, Fascist Friends. I would argue that things like Chaos Comics sort of fall into this this bucket. Um, I would actually put Super Mutant Magic Academy in there, even though there is more, it leans more towards irony, just because of the sort of, so many of the payoffs are actually just hugs and friendship. Hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. 
It gives me well, that same feeling, even though it is sort of funnier in a slightly darker way than some of the other stuff we've talked about. Uh, the backstages also. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was a, it's been a big new pick. This is Lumberjanes. Yeah, is, is a big one. Squirrel Girl. Squirrel oh, Girl. Squirrel Absolutely. Girl. Squirrel Girl. Um, Fantasy Sports is yes. another series. Yes, I read grab. that for the first time. This week it was great. It's lovely, isn't the it? Colouring is so nice. It's real tintin, especially at the beginning. Yeah, the second one has some good stuff with colouring. Mm. Some flashbacks. Yeah, and so to, to pick a... And it might just be the things that we talked about, but often young protagonists or young people, often a yes. bit, not necessarily always, but often a bit of a school vibe. A lot of the same stuff that sort of landfill manga has quite often covered... It turns out that teens are not the worst. I think also the difference for me between... there are So I I was looking for examples of this, and there are so many sort of manga or not even manga, just we're at school and we're going to sort of have a time, clones of each other, Mm. most of which don't really have a lot of kind of redeeming qualities about them. So I think to hit our sincerity high point, there are a couple of things that any given comic kind of has to touch on. You know, it's got to be kind of good and compelling as storytelling in and of itself. Yeah. It's got to be... And that could be personal drama or it can be more extrinsically driven. Yeah. It's got to be sort of, I think, genuinely sweet, but with a purpose. There has to be some kind of resolution. If it's just people kind of vaguely being nice to each other in a very long, ongoing series for no real reason, that doesn't really hit me in the same place. Yeah. Which is why I... So I, I, I was trying to think of places where this failed and... Uh, it doesn't fail in Chaos Comics because there is enough tension and drama. But mm. You could see it failing because so many of the preconditions are so lovely. Well, I think it's also one of those things where Chaos Comics is something that's been worked on for a long time. It's, it's, I get the feeling that Ted Compton has been sort of telling that set of stories with those yeah. characters over a period of quite a few years, and we've sort of hit the refined version yeah. now. And that, again, I think something that makes a lot of those non-great clones not work is they're often early works. I think people tend to be... Maybe it's kind of driven towards right what you know. It's, I've been to school, I've had mm. friends at school, I've been a teenager, I've had friends and romantic problems, this is an area I understand. And so you actually get a lot of people sort of working out their first few, you know, the, the mm. shitty pancakes at the beginning yeah. on those storylines, which can sort of tarnish them. It's It's... You almost kind of need to be a little bit further developed as an artist or a writer mm. to do one of those really well, hit the sincerity without hitting mawkishness or boredom. Many moons ago, I started reading something called Misfile, mm. which was about a sort of petrol head teen that, due to a, an angelic celestial filing error, ends up in a gender swap body. It did not do the gender stuff very well, but I kind of I stuck with it for a bit, mm. and it was it, it was basically a sort of lesbian but not lesbian because body swap will they weren't they were the best friend and mm. uh, it had it had potential but it just whittled off into false well, not false insincere dramatic tension mm. and soap opery stuff and yeah had a lot of that old early work stuff going on yeah. where it just didn't land it it's it's i think it's one of those things where it can be kind of seductive and compelling to do as an early work because you feel like you've got a good handle on it but actually to do it really really well you do need to have just put more of those hours in and then you get to something like check please which mm. is a college story is quite a simple one the vectors of drama are not complex there's some inter- well actually no they are they aren't it, the individual things people are afraid of or the things they're butting yeah. up against are superficially simple but mean a lot to them and we are made to feel that as readers yes it's also, it is hard to do 
that kind of upbeat and totally without malice but still emotionally complex thing without, again, sort of resorting to blandness or to sort of accidental malice or... I mean, I think people... Evil is a plot driver. Bad things happening or meannesses are one avenue you can take if you don't know where you're going with something. It is actually harder to do nice and sincere really, really well. I mean, if you have done something sincere that makes you and me like it, you are pretty fucking good at what you're doing because we don't fall for that shit easily. This is something I think is interesting about backstages. And I only read the first issue. Um, it trades out in January, I think, or, or early next year. Uh, this got a lot of fuss at Thought Bubble. I don't know. Do you guys know about it? No. Yeah. Uh, oh. It's a it's a kid. I, Jory, I think, possibly Jody, who um, has just moved to an all-male school. Mm-hmm. And it opens on him hiding in a bush on, mm-hmm. his fo- on the phone to his mum, saying, like, well, Mom, come and rescue me. There are all of these boys. <laughs> yes, of course there are boys. You're at an all-boys school, dear. Yes, but all the farting. Come and rescue me from the farting. <laughs> and avowing that it, it's explained to him that he has to get pick an after-school club because she has to work late. Mm. And he's like, well, can I create Bush Club where I just hide in this bush? It'll be the best club. It's got that voice. That Good. kind of post... I think of it as post-Buffy voice. Yes. The stuff that people of our age-ish, give or take grew up on that sort of... Self-aware, there's a layer of meta-narrative in what you're saying as yeah. an individual at pretty much any point you're talking. First wave systemic ironisation. Yeah. Um, with that absolute will to build an idiom because it understands this thing about teen experience, which is that you build your own idiom to build your identity. Mm. Um, and he joins the theatre club, but it turns out that all the people that act are a bit self-absorbed, and so he ends up working, hanging out with the stagehands. But backstage contains portals to mystical realms that no one ever goes down because no one wants to talk to the stagehands. Right. So they have to fight interdimensional evil, but it's usually quite cute. Okay. But nobody wants to hang out with them. Yeah, so no, oh. one, no one knows it's there. That's lonely. So it's kind of the backstage, the backstage crew. Mm. And there's this nebulous threat that one day one of the actors will actually come down there and find out about it. But, it's also that classic, we're doing theatre and there's that divide between yeah. the performance and the stage. If you get that in um, Rainer Telgemeier's drama. Oh, which I want to read is, that. Yeah, it's about, I think, middle school mm. drama. There's a sort of youngish for the group person who has a massive crush on another member of the group mm. and how are they going to kind of navigate that whilst also navigating the difficulties of teen performance. And one, I loved a few things about it. it I, I like how kind of flat and adult swim cartoon it looks. Mm. Um, I liked how warm it was and how kind of just visually peculiar. But also, it's a, you know, it's that thing of the outcast kids versus the jocks. Mm. Except it's been re-implemented entirely within the confines of drama clubs. So yes, this they're already be... the outcasts. Yeah. Niches all the way down. Yeah, yeah. subcultures it's... within subcultures. I'm not wild about the art, but once I got my eye in, I was feeling it. It mm. was it was appropriate. Um, yeah, a lot of fun, and it's got that thing of yeah, semi-ironized, mm. but not self-involvedly so. There's a there's a thing. It's a, a lot of people at Thought will describe it as quite queer. You sort of haven't necessarily seen that so far although one of the characters flirts with everyone mm. maybe it's going that way I don't know but yeah you're in a normal school what are your also, romance options it's, it's drama club I mm. think people make certain assumptions yeah mm. someone's got to be the girl someone's got to do the kissing it's Romeo and Juliet you don't have to put that in but with less muff with less muff 100% less muff so I have I have a theory about why this stuff is starting to hit now mm. and I think it's is it a reaction to Brexit? 
that's your answer for everything. No, I think we, what we're starting to see now is the first sort of generation of people who've come up primarily on webcomics mm. um, and who have come up completely separate from the superhero comic and the sort of 1980s onwards backlash. Yeah. The idea of you're only smart if you're aping Watchmen, if you're aping mm. Dark Knight Returns. That whole thing of, well, that thing's for kids. So we've got our own ironic and bleak version over here. Um, or alternatively, the indie stuff comes from the sort of spiraling from the 60s onwards, mm. aggressively dark or very, very niche indie stuff that's always... Underground comics with an X kind yeah, of. Yeah. It's the crumb, it's the social stuff. Yeah. It's the very either weird as fuck or really right on stuff yeah. and the the sort of people who are, have been starting to come up completely separate to that media are creating things that are not derived from it they're they're sort of <laughs> protected from it in a way well i think you've also got the thing of it's not just that they've been kind of consuming web comics as a primary avenue for comics they've also sort of been hanging out in places like live journal and tumblr which culturally tend towards sincerity mm. broadly we see this in what um, Ryan North and oh god what is her name Erica Anderson thank you brought to Squirrel Girl yeah and Ryan North of course is sort of a bit older than the crowd I'm thinking of but he's but been doing dinosaur comics for 10 years been influencing that idiom as um, well yeah kind um, of a trendsetter and she's an animator I think by trade yeah um, and sort of hung out on the webcomic scene and actually, if you think about the webcomics that people who are producing shit now would have seen, it would have been stuff like Dinosaur Comics, it would have been stuff like potentially Akewood, and you can kind of feel... Bad Machinery as well, probably yeah. for a lot of it, and, and the precursors to Bad Machinery. Yeah, you can you can feel that kind of idiom creep in a lot of what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think a lot of people that. are probably influenced by... like I think there's a greater degree of uh, sort of just bleed between... TV shows and mm. comics now. So it used to be that you had animation and you had either spin-offs and you had uh, versions of existing comics mm. as done as animation. But now I think there's kind of a bleed and a lot of the time people who are storyboard artists or animators on things like Steven Universe, My Little Pony, Adventure Time. Rick and Morty. Yeah, they're either part-time comics guys doing yeah. their own things as well or people are watching those and bringing it to comics because yes. comics is something that they can make at home in a way that you can't do with animation. Yeah, There's also the corollary to that, maybe the slightly older end of that generation who may be coming through manga. So I'm thinking about Emma Vicelli in particular. I don't know if mm. you've read the, the Breaks. No, I haven't. Which is her high school mm. comic. It's less overtly lovely. It's, it's got a little bit of gritty, kind of grimy unhappiness in it. Mm. I, I only read the first few online um, whilst I really wanted to love it and I'm told it's got a lot better. Um, I found it quite visually hard to read. The mm. first few issues were... I found it. I found some of the faces and some of the, the visual construction quite indistinct. I looked at some of the later ones and it's you know, significantly better. Um, but it's, it's that. It's been getting great press. A lot of people love it. It's a, it's a gay high school love story with a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she came up through, I think it's Spedrop, the Cambridge folks. The, um, yeah, she, she, she was, was part, part of, of Spedrop's, yeah. A, a UK, UK manga studio. Mm. Um, with what I'm going to call a bit of a talent gradient. Um, but 
full range of sort of phone in faux manga through to quite innovative mm-hmm. but, but, but very much of that early sort of manga's just settled in as a thing now we're going to do it let's capitalise on this but also this is what this is the comics we love so let's make it ours and do our versions yep and she's one of the more successful protrudences of, of the sort of Britain gets manga this applies to America as well but gets manga internalises manga goes and does its own thing with that in its back pocket yeah it's not trying to be manga you can trace the influences you can see this in Jade Sarson you can see this in a number of places you can see it in um, you can see it in a number of places mm-hmm. um, which which is take this thing that isn't the superhero tradition and therefore as Mr. Converse said didn't have the gritty 80s thing mm. mm-hmm. and if people I, I, are looking I think at I buy your, your hypothesis broadly Manga as well, it's, you know, there's subdivision in the way it's published. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have... I'm, I'm treating it as a, as, a, as a lump and it isn't. No, but, you know, if people are looking at shoujo, which is quite often relationship drama and romance mm. and a lot of high school stuff again, then to aid, basket, that is reasonably yeah. natural. Yeah, mm. Fruits Basket, definitely Ranma, things like that. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing, though. So I mean, Jeffrey Fishboy is basically a very, very short, silly version of Ranma. <laughs> A lot of the things we've talked about are basically um, quite relationship-focused, and I wonder if this is the new modern home of the romance comic. Yes, and it's not It's not sort of explicitly marketed, mm. created as an artificial construct and marketed to housewives kind of yeah. thing. It's something that has found its own creators and its own audience, and they're kind of normal people. This thing I think of, like the characters, the idiom of these things, I think of it as idiom teens. Mm. Um. Teen idioms. But like slightly, slightly kooky, idiomatic mm. teen comics that will often. So, uh, if you look at say fascist friends, either of you, I no, I read web comic Erin looks um, kid called Curtis, I think, who wants to be a go to a fashion academy and fucks up the academy and ends up going to dictator school as a fascist academy. Oh, it's a single balls out stupid structural joke that it just doubles down on and does. I have tremendous respect for that. Same. And he's. A bit flaky in camp and just can't deal with the whole thing, but is trying to make the best of it. Mm. And there's this wonderful set of panels, uh, pages, because it's a webcomic, a set of two or three where he's finally realised it's a fascist school and he's just <laughs> kind of tried to get on with it, but he's just not feeling it. Mm. And so there's a scene of him shooting an arrow at like a kid with an apple on his head against the tree, perfectly splits the arrow in half, and then he just dumps the bow and goes, <sighs> and him just doing like. Not very, but slightly evil things. And then at the end of this series... Vague performative fascism. Yeah. And at the series of this end of pages, someone asks him what's up with him late, and he's just like... And then, I'm just not feeling it. I've got no time for fashion! And it's, it's, it's so stupid, but it goes in so hard on it. Yes. And it builds that idiom. And the visual style works as well. It sort of it manages to look pencilly despite being completely digital. It's mm-hmm. got that sort of casual thing. Um... Teen idiom, picking mm. picking a it doesn't have to be teen, but picking that semi-ironized, postmodern but not post-watchman yeah. thing. I don't know. Where am I going with this? Can I? It's do nice when things do don't just Sorry. suck off nineteen eighties comics. Because mm. we all got tired of that. Mm. So tired. So one thing that I found that sort of, I think it's kind of parallel to sincerity, but again that sort of the not 80s kind of web generation you really get to do is I guess kind of good ambient representation of Mm. non-normative lives in a way that feels very sincere usually so one of the things I read this week was called um, Postcards in Braille 
which is by Constanza Jovaninitz. And it's just a kind of, it's a sort of cute slice of life, vaguely kind of, vaguely techie nerd type future, but it's not really sort of, I haven't got to a point where it's explained why or what's happening yet. And it's sort of about a couple and their friend and they hang out and do various things. And one of them is blind. And he just sort of is blind. It isn't the major plot point of the thing. Mm. It's just kind of in the background there. They use it to do a couple of sort of pop out education and awareness type strips, but they're also kind of, there's also that about feminism as well. So there's mm. one, all women are real women, and there are a few about, you know, here is what kind of my cane means and allows me to do, and here is one about Braille and the history of Braille and how it works as a language and stuff like that. Just kind of Ooh. sincere and educational. Is this on the web? Yeah. But also not sort of... The mainstream has a really bad habit of doing issues really heavy-handedly. Mm. So if You're it's... not wrong. You know, you're a character with a thing that is not the normal mainstream experience, whether that's, you know, gender identity, sexual orientation, whether it's disability or kind of health-related or whatever. That can too often in sort of mainstream narratives become the entire focus of your character, the entire focus of your plot arcs. And a lot of things are... that just don't support it yeah they really they really don't I mean I think there's a couple of things I've read recently where I've been quite keen on the idea but it's been so upfront as to be artless yeah um, and that's always disappointing whereas I think being able to do relatively sincere real life-ish stuff on the web just gives a lot of people kind of the opportunity to weave that into the background a lot more, make it a thing but not the thing. And I like that a lot. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. This is something, like, I picked up, I, I sort of primarily picked up sort of just small issues and things at, at cons this year, like generally first bits of an arc. And that's been a real problem for me, is like someone's got something they're so desperate to say that it overrides compelling storytelling. Yeah. Like... I very much want you to know about this thing is is worthy, but you've got to keep people reading. But it's it's also the show don't tell problem. It's you can you can do it is possible to do a good job of bringing like the light and shade of that out through the experience of a whole character rather than just making the issue your focal point the whole time. Has anyone read Deeds Not Words, the newish Howard Hardiman thing? No, not yet. No. Um, nine. 19th century either deaf or deaf mute superheroine mm. supposed to be really good mm. I will look out for it but sorry I was just thinking kind of representation and yeah. I think I, I, I think it had a kickstarter and I remember reading like a couple of blog, blog posts a bit but I've not read it myself but um, trying quite hard to be that thing of this is not a book about issues this is who I am yeah so I'm not sure that we, we have a comprehensive thesis there other than you crazy kids are all right, keep it up. You've melted our cold, gnarled old hearts. Mm. And also people who are older than us are like Ryan North. You're like the aspirational version, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's... There's still something I don't quite understand about that particular strength of reaction we had of, ooh, it's so lovely, and the, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, we squeed. We did, oh absolutely, full squee. You did squee. In a way that I haven't since Live Journal. We had, if you may, a squee emergency. Oh, I won't. I don't know that you can necessarily track your squeeing purely through the art. I think that's something you have to examine within yourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's nice to know that it's there. 
And hopefully if people are feeling tired and worn down by the ravages of the shit world that we live in... Really, this whole, the whole thing. The whole yeah. thing at this point. We've, we've given some suggestions for cheery and, and uplifting comics. Yeah. I mean, my... And what more can we do? I would, I, would, I would just say go and get yourself some check, please. Keep an eye on the foldings. Mm-hmm. Maybe check out the breaks. It's, there's, there's just some lovely, lovely stuff. John Allison doesn't give up, and nor should you. Oh, God. If he doesn't give up, how can I? Exactly. And yet I want to. But you can't. Maybe more than he does. Because he won't let you. Oh. No, Alison, don't quit. No. Do it for Alison. No, he's been doing this for a long time. Since it's nearly the end of the year, it is competition time. Uh, email us by the 14th of December at info at consequential.net with suggestions for the podcast we should have done. Uh, it can be something cynical, something playing to our strengths, something horrifying. We don't really mind what, as but the best idea will win each of our books of the year. So 14th of December, by then, come up with a better idea than this show. Well, folks, good work. This is about as sincere as we can be. This is it, yeah. We're going to keep doing these monotone voices, but... I'm um, not... I'm not even trying to do a dick joke. God, we've changed. I don't even want to we've talk really about changed. the human anus. Whew. Do you want? Do you still want a pizza? Yeah, but no anus. Okay. Yeah, they'll leave it off if you ask. Porkies. So, calzone, hold the anus. No, you need an anus to squish the cheese out from. Oh, God. Sorry, I lied. I lied when I said I didn't want to talk about it. I still do. I'm not done yet. <laughs> it's good to know that you're still you. Luckily for our audience at home, I can make this stop. Say goodnight, people. Goodnight, people. Good evening. Ta-ra. Stanley, 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 Stanley. I didn't expect to get so good at wanking as an adult. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs)